Shelly, let's tell everyone about our new giveaway. Yes, if you are ready to learn your Enneagram type and what to do with it, we have a giveaway just for you. We're offering a free Enneagram typing package to a lucky someone who gives us a review on iTunes or Spotify. These typing packages are valued at $375 and include an interview, a proprietary test, and one follow-up coaching session. So you heard it here. If you go to iTunes or Spotify and search for the Big Self Podcast and leave us a review, you can enter into a giveaway to get a free Enneagram typing package. After you leave us a review, go to bigselfschool.com slash Enneagram giveaway and fill out our form so you can be entered to win. And one more time, that's bigselfschool.com slash Enneagram giveaway. Okay. Hey, everyone. Welcome to our Type 3 panel. Uh, I am really excited to have these folks with with us today. These are a couple of my buddies from a program that we're all going through together. Um, And I'm really excited to dig into the Type 3 personality and the growth path. For a hot minute, I thought I was a type three um, and really, and Jim kind of helped me <laughs> with a video that I saw of you, Jim, you helped me realize, I don't think I am. Uh, I think I'm, <laughs> I'm way too into my emotions and emotional expression. And we'll, we'll talk about this. We'll get into this. Um, but yeah, I know you both are using the Enneagram to grow, to grow beyond your personalities to do uh, amazing work in the world with people. And this tool has been a powerful force for you all as well. So I'm really excited about this conversation. So the first thing I want to do is give you all a chance to just tell us who you are. Uh, what do you do? And I'm really curious how you figured out that you were a type three. And anybody can go. Can, we can just have a free-for-all conversation here. I'll go ahead then. Go how about that? Okay. I... I um... So I work in Kansas City as an executive pastor, which is a very good role for me. I'm not a senior pastor. Uh, I'm an organizational, you know, structural pastor. <laughs> and um, I uh, have been in a pastoral ministry role with different organizations for about 30 years. And during those 30 years' time, I also... I was first introduced to the Enneagram 30 years ago this year. And um, it became a really valuable tool uh, for me in terms of self-awareness and self-growth. And when I, um, I learned about it on a silent retreat with Brennan Manning, and I... The discussion was, hey, I feel like I work too much, and I know it's not good for me, and I can't seem to stop working, and I just feel like I know this compulsion's not helping me. And he said, oh, you need to learn about the Enneagram, and that's how it started. And he said, like a good spiritual director, well, you might look at type two or type three. And I went home and bought a book. Uh, It was personality types by Don Riso, and quickly knew I was a three. There was never pretty quick. Oh my, yeah, and partly three years before that, I had um, I was a school teacher, 
and I had decided to build a log house over my summer vacation. That was what I was going to do. And so the high achiever, high, yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, it just described all of the achievement, desire to accomplish energy that I'd had my whole Mm -hmm. life. So 30 years, you've known you're a three. 30 years I've known I was a three. Wow. And uh, yeah. Steph, tell us who you are and how you figured out you were three. Yeah. So um, my name is Steph and I work mostly with teams and help teams communicate better through using the Enneagram, actually, funny enough. Um, And then I also just work with one-on-one clients some and I teach workshops using the Enneagram. And I found out I was a three because I took just like a quick online test. I was introduced to the Enneagram actually initially by my husband. He had learned about it. Um, and he was like, oh, you know, you should get into this. You would like it. Cause I was into some other personality systems that I've been using for work for a while. And, um, I was like, nah, I'm good. You know? Uh, but then my sister was like, oh, you should get into this. And she was pretty convinced I was a four. Um, and so she sent me, you know, the, whatever, like free online quiz. And I, got type three and I was like, yes, I won the achiever, (laughs) you know? Um, and then pretty quickly, pretty quickly I started reading more and I was like, Oh, I actually don't like this. Like this, I don't like these things about myself. And I definitely had that experience of feeling very exposed that kind of solidified it for me. But, um, I think one of the challenges just of the Enneagram and the way that you know, it requires so much self-reflection. I think it took me a long time to really feel settled in it. And in a lot of ways, I'm actually very seven-ish. Um, but that has more to do with some other aspects of myself. But um, yeah, so that's kind of how I found out about that. And then um, I would say just this. So I've been teaching the Enneagram, though, for about three years. I've known it for five or six Um but I'd say just this year, I've really been um, recentering on using it for actual growth and transformation. And yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll get more into that, but um, oh, yeah, it's just been really different. Yeah. 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 I think um, that really resonates with me also that I find myself getting really frustrated when it's just used as a typology tool and when people just have that kind of expectation that it's a diagnostic kind of instrument. No, there's so much more. And so as I've been getting into that work more and more, um, I find myself frustrated that people don't really want to use it. So, so my intention for this podcast is getting people on here to talk about that, how to using it for their own growth and transformation. Um, so yeah. let's start with this. So I want to start with, I've been, um, asking everybody about their center of intelligence. So hmm. you all, like me, we're in the heart triad. Um, we're really, um, you know, adept at kind of picking up on the emotional skin of the room, uh, interpreting that. Um, we probably have different ways that we experience our emotions, feelings. As a two and a three, I think those are different. So tell, you know, y'all are the experts here. So tell us a little bit about 
how you experience being heart tight um, and how that's unique, you know, those feelings and the emotions that come with being a heart tight. How do you feel those uniquely as a three? 30 years ago, um, I, I think my emotional life was very much in conflict. So one of the things that's been helpful for me to realize in the last, I would say in the last three and a half years, it was something that Beatrice and Aranio said at a workshop, and it was about types three, six, and nine that are the core types of each of the centers is that they are very in touch with the core emotion of that center, but do not use that emotion on their own behalf. So the nine is in touch with anger, but they don't use it on their own behalf. And the three is pretty much in touch with um, emotions, sadness, but don't allow themselves to feel that or it, it is paralyzing. And I think for me, if I was to describe a 30-year journey of the heart center for me is typically, and this goes back to some unprocessed childhood trauma stuff too, I would freeze up in emotional situations. I did not like things to be emotionally tense. I was very sensitive to them. And I also, I also felt uncomfortable in emotional situations or I would feel like I would lose control of the situation if it got too emotional. And I've had to embrace a little bit of the paradox of the three, which is in essence, they're the most emotional type, but often they are spoken about as an unemotional type or, you know, they just want to get it done. They're just efficient. They just, you know, they don't pick up on cues because they're trying to move something forward. And so that's, if you want to talk about a very simple growth path, you know, for the three, it's like, okay, I'm feeling an emotion. What is this emotion? What information is it giving me? You know, and slowing that down. So I, I feel like I'm a much different person emotionally after 30 years of working with the Enneagram than I was 30 years ago. I would, I think I would have been pretty um, unable to access emotions, unable to name them. Um, they were, they got in the way of getting stuff done. Uh, I don't, I'm not that way anymore. Let me ask you this, Jim, and stuff you can chime in as well. Is it that you, um, you know, and here's, I think some of the similarities between the two and the three. So the two represses feelings yeah. as a strategy mm -hmm. to just focus outside of ourselves. So is it that you all, um, and maybe it's tough to answer this question with a 30 year time yeah. change, yeah. but is it that you, you don't feel the emotion it's difficult to access or you feel it and you just stop it? Yeah, I, I would, I would say for me, what I've realized, especially in the last two and a half years, and this is partly doing trauma work, uh, you know, you have fight and flight, and then you also have freeze. And I was, I think I was a freezer. I would just kind of like, oh, I, I don't know how to handle this. And typically the affect would be I'd be quiet, wouldn't be very verbal about it. I would feel 
inadequate, young, incapable of handling an emotional situation. Hmm. So that's been my, um, and part of that's a three, and part of that's just my own journey, and it's part of my self-preservation instinct dominance, it's part of my uh, just trauma work that I've learned. So that, to get to a point where I have to unfreeze, um, and I've been able to do that, Uh, in tense situations where I show up now and I say what I need to say and I'm not just kind of collapsing. I think that's typically how I felt, but that's me. Mm -hmm. Um, So. Yeah, that's good. Steph, how about you being an effort type? What's that like? Yeah. Well, you know, I think it was actually really validating to hear Beatrice and Uranio talk about how the threes are the most emotional type Um, because throughout my entire life I've gotten this feedback that I'm way too sensitive or too emotional Um, and I think part of that actually ended up with me just bottling it a lot and just pushing it down and pushing it away Um, because I had this message of like emotional is not the way to be like you need Mm. to be logical you need to be um, competent and so and maybe that's part of that three personality structure and maybe it's part of just being socialized that way. Um, but really believing that that is how I had to be. And so, um, it was validating to hear that because I think I experienced myself as very emotional, you know, mm-hmm. um, I just don't always show it on the outside. Um, and I'm getting better at that, I would say. Um, but the real hardest thing about emotions for me is that they're so messy. Um, and I just don't like it. (laughs) Um, and part of, you know, for me, so I'm a social three. And so part of the growth path is showing up in authenticity, authenticity and in messiness and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, Oh gosh, that is incredibly difficult, you know, to not be polished, right? Um, I mean, you guys saw, I had to like, on this call, just pick up this dog and take her out of the room because she's like chewing on my computer cord, which typically I think before, and obviously this is not great because it had a negative impact on you guys, but before I think I would have been like, well, she is going to either go somewhere else before, like I probably would have not even tried to make it work. But this time I was like, oh, it'll be fine. Like, um, and would have really feared the judgment that would occur mm-hmm. if you saw that messiness. Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, and I think you're saying something that's important and I want to point out to people because um, you're both speaking to um, the deficiency that you might feel in a kind of accessing your own emotions but mm-hmm. as heart types too, you all are really, really gifted and adept at understanding other people's emotions and you know what what might be on the receiving end like you're just saying stuff about the judgment and then I think this gets a little bit into the shape-shifting um kind of the self-deceit like I mean I feel what you're feeling people so therefore I'm going to kind of adapt myself to become what you need need to be. And so talk about that strategy and how that's connected to 
being a hard time. And, and, you know, I think of it like I said this on the two podcasts last week, the tentacles, the heart types kind of like come out of our heart when we're vibrating, we're picking up so much mm-hmm. that emotional energy from other people. Um, so what do you do with that that's specific to being a three? You know, I think part of it, you know, part of the heart center is their their image based. They are focused on worth and value, and they're trying to come up with a strategy to be well received. And so, part of that, you know, for me, the heart center is kind of outside of myself a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's um, dependent on, like, how I feel about things often gets tied to the feedback I'm receiving, you know. And um, there's a really good little essay in a Henry Nouwen book, uh, and it's about identity. And he, he kind of contrasts praise and blame. And he... I think for a three, you unwittingly ride this roller coaster of your emotional life based on praise and blame, based on how you're coming across and if what you do is being well-received or not well-received. When I'm well-received, oh my gosh, I feel happy and joyful and confident and when I'm not being well-received, oh, my gosh, I am, like, despondent and just mm-hmm. want to give up. And, you know, at the worst case, you can kind of become despairing. You, you, you've outsourced <laughs> your worth yeah. to this right. feedback machine, and you didn't know you did it. But the three has this energy to keep working for that. You know, well, what do I do today that's going to get that thing? And and that's where I remember talking to a woman who was an Enneagram-based counselor, and she said, oh, I kind of see threes as really fragile. And I thought, wow, I would have never used that word about myself. But the truth was, I seem in public very confident, very together, but internally, I think I'm very fragile. And it's, it's yeah. because I um, can be prone to needing or desiring or just wanting that feedback approval that you did a good job or you did an excellent job or, wow, couldn't have got that done without, you know, all those types of things. They're just um, intoxicating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think for me, it's like a little bit similar. And I love that you pointed that out, Jim, about like that word fragile, because I do think that that is accurate. Um, and I I think for me, the way that this has shown up over the past couple of years is through Instagram, mostly, because so much mm. of what I do is through Instagram, right? And so um, I just found myself like I didn't realize that this is what I was doing until maybe earlier this year. I was like, huh. But I get in this loop of creating content that I know will get me immediate feedback, right? So yeah. create something, post it, 
people love it. Some people hate it, you know, um, but like a lot, a lot, a lot of feedback, you know, and so that, that feels like a boost. And I think I got into this mode of just constantly like being like a machine for creating um, immediate content that would get immediate feedback, um, that instant gratification hit. Um, and not really like in doing that part of my downfall or part of my, um, challenge is actually doing the, like the long-term work, right. Of, of, I mean, I'm not even talking about applying the Enneagram. I'm talking about, you know, what are the things that are not public that I need to do if I want to have a sustainable business, you know, mm-hmm. like what are the things that nobody's going to see? I'm not going to get congratulations for, um, nobody's going to, you know, look at my QuickBooks, right. But I, I have to do these things. And, um, and that has always been kind of my Achilles heel. Mm. And I think as I've been working to step out of that, I haven't really found a way to have some sort of rhythm of like creating something and then having it post at a later time. Mm. Um, it's just been kind of a, a way of like, like stepping back in general and being like, okay, actually what do I truly want? And asking that question. And I think um, we have this stereotype that like nines don't know what they want, but threes definitely do. You know, threes have all this confidence and all this energy and all this drive and ambition. Um, I think, think that threes really often don't know what they truly want in life. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah so. I think that the, um, I heard B say this, I think on, on her, their podcast, like this, when someone asked her about um, the self, you know, and then I think, of, I mean, this, these hard types, you know, she's a two, I'm a two. I identify so much with what you're saying. Um, the loss of the sense of self because this hyper-vigilant focus on outside of us, you know, and, I, mm-hmm. and it may look differently for the different heart types, um, mm-hmm. but there's definitely this insatiable craving for some, um, you know, that thing that we've been seeing that we need um, yes. that the direct feedback gives us. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I think hooking maybe too much to what you're saying, Jim. Um, I'm going to go. I love that one, so I'm going to go find that. The praise and blame. I always think about it like, how can I unhook from uh, praise or criticism? Like, mm-hmm. I need to kind of yeah. be some kind of non-attachment to that, and that's really, mm-hmm. really hard for us. Um, I think mm-hmm. her types, mm-hmm. especially. Yeah. So let me ask you about um, some of these definable characteristics. So it's a, these are really tricky to talk about for me because they can be so stereotyped. This is a stereotypical three, but I do think there's some like very definable characteristics of being a type three. So I wanted to get you all to talk about these a little bit and how they do or don't show up for you. Okay, so... Um, focus of attention is on others and how to present yourself to others, which we kind of already talked about. Um, having an achievement orientation, uh, focus on success, which I'm really interested in how that plays out for you all. Uh, driven to compete and win, which Steph you've already mentioned. 
uh, adept at image management and shape shifting and task oriented, suppresses emotions in order to accomplish my tasks. That is how I figured out I was not a three because I am not task oriented <laughs> at all. Like that was, the, that was the clincher. So how, like, how do those sound to you? Do you, do you see these show up in your life and your work right now? Uh, maybe there's one or two that you could pick out and just kind of give us a little bit of a snapshot of what that's like, you know, living as a three, working as a three, and do these definable characteristics, do you see them in yourselves? I, I do. I think it's kind of interesting. <laughs> well, I feel like this is just going to be kind of um, investigating some of like the more negative aspects of myself, which is fine. I mean, that's a lot of the work that we do at the Enneagram, right? I think, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, this year as well, have been really working on self-compassion because um, just with that praise and criticism thing, um, I tend to have a very critical inner voice that's like, I'm going to beat anyone at the punch and so can be highly critical even when people praise. Um, Mm. And so I've been working on a lot of self-compassion, but um, I think I've always had this it's almost like holding my breath. Like I'm like, Oh, like there's just like what I'm doing. Like success is just around the corner. I just have to do these little few more things. Right. Um, and always kind of had that thought process or that sense about myself. Um, Mm. and, and always feeling like I'm not doing enough. And so if I slow down, I'll fall behind. It's been just really interesting. But I think one of the big ways that this has shown up in my life is in actually moving from being in more of a corporate environment to moving to working for myself. Um, because I didn't realize how much that structure that was like implemented from above and like working to prove myself to a manager or a leader or to get that promotion or whatever, I didn't realize how much of that was really driving me. And then when that was not there anymore, it was just like, I'm listless. I don't have that much motivation. Um, I have motivation for these big dreams, but I don't have all the little steps I need to get there. I, I just didn't realize how, how much I was depending on that to like kind of show up every day. And that was that really disillusioned me. I think, um, Mm. I think it's taken me like two years to actually figure out, okay, well, like, what do I want for myself? What does that actually look like? And, um, how do I actually move forward for that and how I want to serve and all that kind of stuff? Hopefully that helps to speak to it a bit. That's great. Jim, how about you? Did these land, these characteristics? Well, you know, I, I, What's fascinating to me, I was at a conference with Bian Aranio three years ago, and I did not fully understand um, the subtype components. And since I did public speaking or public performance and was known for that, I had conflated that with I must be social dominant therefore I'm a social three and then learning you know at that end of that week that I was with them that I really had all these characteristics of a self-preservation three which was a counter type and so and it's I mean this is year 27 of knowing the Enneagram that I'm learning this that's like oh my gosh and um, don't you find it just makes all the difference 
Yeah, it does. Inside. And so like it just clicks. Yeah. Something clicks. You know, you're you're a little bit different than the other threes in that my strategy to get attention is by doing, not by telling people what I've done as much and hoping that the hard work pays off and the workaholism, you know, the task orientation thing, you know, I'm, I am the type of person that on my day off, you know, would first thing have a piece of paper and write down all the things I wanted to do that day. And I'm the type of person that if I did something on that day that wasn't on the list, I'll add it to the list and check it off. You know, that, you know, that feeling of accomplishment of, and so part of the, you know, healthy work is to begin to understand, Hey, can you just like not work on something or can you just take some time off? Um, so that, that's probably been the biggest growth thing. There's all of the things of a three, I, I can generally um, identify with in a pretty strong way, except for what I've found, and this has been really true with kind of trying to, um, I've always worked for organizations. And so part of the di- dynamic of a self-preservation three is I'm a little bit risk averse. My subtype's called security. So I kind of like having a boss and a paycheck and I've had that my whole life. Um, when I had to either try to do stuff on my own, when I was launching kind of doing some more Enneagram stuff, and I had to do self-promotion, oh, my gosh, just didn't like that. And I, my son was trying to help me with a lot of Instagram stuff, and I just I couldn't, I can't do it. I just, <laughs> I can't do yeah. it. And... I emotionally can't even handle it, you know? So it's, it's, it's that counter vanity. Like I, you, you can recognize me for the hard work I've done. Cause I've earned all that, you know, it's kind of what I feel like, but I'm not going to brag or toot my own horn, but give me a chance to show up. I will prove it to you. Yeah, just that, that I've done my coach. work. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so it, typically, you know, there's that sense of the three is the doer in the heart type and then the self-preservation three is the doer of the threes. I mean, it's workaholism, it's, it's task orientation. Um, you know, so that's the thing that's always kind of gotten me. And that's where the problems have happened for me in my life is too much focus on product versus process. Mm. So you both, you're, you're talking, you talked about this a little bit, but I wanted to see if we could just dig in a little bit more if you're comfortable. Um, so we're talking about some of the behaviors, right? Like this mm-hmm. is what a three might look like. They're successful. They're success-oriented. They're task-oriented. Um, I think you're doing a really good job kind of differentiating between the subtypes, at least of the social three and the self-preservation three. But go deeper, like what? So those are the behaviors. What is the motivation? You know, when we think about the adaptive strategy for mm-hmm. three, so in your pursuit of success and tasks and getting a lot done and working really hard, help people understand what's going on underneath that. What are you really hoping you will get? Mm-hmm. What's the motivation for that? I mean, I, 
I'm interested to hear what what Jim thinks of this. But for for me, I think that there is like this, and obviously, this is just one of the things about the Enneagram. It is so vulnerable because I actually hate this, but it's this this big question mark of Am I worthy? Am I enough? Mm-hmm. And like that is like such such a powerful driving force. Um, and working to shift it. Obviously, I'm only a few years in. I mean, Jim is a lot more years in than I am in this process. Um, and, but it's just such a, like trying to release that is is very difficult, I think. yeah. I mean, it, it, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to say what I need to say about this. There's um, part of me that is not just not very comfortable in my own skin when I'm idle or mm-hmm. I feel like I've done something that I didn't do very well Oof. or if someone doesn't think I'm a valuable team member, you know, I, I, I just have a harder time relaxing. I mean, one of the biggest growth things in the last 10 years has been like, hey, look forward to your day off. What could you do on your day off? Maybe you could goof around. You know, maybe you could do something fun. You know, like literally like things that normal people just know how to do, the three just adds work to it. Or I I, I got some time here. I'll get this done. I got some time here. I'll Okay. But what is fun though? What is fun? (laughs) (laughs) Work work is more fun than fun. You know, it's really what happens sometimes. So that podcast type three. Yeah. (laughs) One of my really close friends is a, is the same type I am. And he quoted a counselor that said something to him that what a three needs to do is they need to put their sofa on their front lawn and show the rest of the world that they can just relax. Like the, the like you really are just going to show people that hey, you're not doing much. And this is the funny thing about threes is we I think we want to give the impression that it just comes naturally. Mm-hmm. But the reality is oh no, 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 no. We we're working it really hard behind the scenes. And, um, yeah, so I have a lot of interests. There's a lot of things I like to do and I, I'm not afraid of like learning something or putting in the time to do it. And, you know, I, I love, I love projects because it's like, okay, I'm to get to here. I need to do this and this, this and this, this and this, and all that, all that thinking is what comes so naturally for a three. And I think sometimes what I learn in groups or group processing or team dynamics is that sometimes I have trouble sometimes with committee work because it's like, I can kind of see the quickest way to get something done. This is taking a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm not great on committees sometimes. Like, let me just, I'll just get this done. Yeah. So I think partly it's been learning to, really savor the moment in relationships with people, really try to be present 
in whatever I'm doing at that time. Like those are the big growth areas because there's a future orientation to a three that's pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, here's where I am, but I'm going to get there. So to get there, I got to do this and this and this to get, you know, and that can sometimes just steal the moment you're in, Yeah, you know. That's good. So let's dig into your passion. Self-deceit. Mm. <laughs> um, teach us. Like, I'm going to read real quick Beatrice's um, definition, what she talks about okay. with self-deceit. Mm-hmm. Self-deceit of type three is about lying to themselves about who they are because they over-identify with their personas and the image they need to adopt in the moment to appear successful or gain admiration from others. In self-deceit, threes can over-identify with what others value and turn themselves into that image in order to feel admired and loved. So tell us, what is this? What is this? What's this look like for you all in your lives? What are you aware of that you observe in yourselves when this is happening? Yeah, well, I think... I think the bit, one of the big misunderstandings about threes in general, I think, is people think threes are really fake or like consciously choose to be inauthentic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find it to be so subconscious. Um, mm-hmm. This week, so a friend of mine has a podcast about therapy and um, he interviewed me last September after I'd been in therapy for a month. And this week he was like, Oh, Hey, will you give this a listen? And like, let me know what you think. And I never listen to podcasts that I'm on just to be honest, because I, I'm like, I pretty much know what I said and I know how good or how stupid it sounded. And so like, I don't really need to revisit it. Um, but because it had been so long, I did. And I was like, Oh my gosh, am I just going for an Emmy here? Like what is happening? But like, I know in that moment, I thought I was being genuine. Like I know I thought I was being authentic. And then at this point, now, you know, eight, nine months later, I see it so differently, um, or maybe 10 months later, I see it so differently from how I experienced that at the moment. And I feel like that was a really good example of self-deceit for me because it was, um, even though it's not like real time, but just being able to observe um, like, oh, wow, this is, I know that I believe that then. And this is what I was saying, but I also know that there was something inside that didn't actually align with that. Um, so I don't know. I just think that's a really interesting way that it shows up. Um, yeah, but. it's unconscious. Mm-hmm. I think most of when we're um, new, at least like pride for me, the passion of pride is so unconscious until I started mm-hmm. like looking for it and like had a name. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think that you know what you were talking about earlier, like you don't know who. You like I think mm-hmm. that's the the root of a lot of the self deceit. It's like mm-hmm. when I think about threes as children and how they've had to kind of orient position themselves to others to get this uh, admiration, love, and so of course, of course, that's mm-hmm. what you carry with you into adulthood. Um, yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Steph. I was just going to say I also think it it. it for me, it kind of shows up in performing what I think others think I should want, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. So like, what type of life am I striving toward? And what is that based on? And is it based on what I want? Or is it based on what other people think I 
what I think other people think I should want. Mm-hmm. Totally. That's so, so good. That's so good and clear. Yeah. Um, I think the deceit thing is um, really hard because um, I, I've been looking at this. Uh, I've been actually trying to commit to memory this prayer of unknowing by Thomas Merton this week. My Lord, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. And it says, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. Hmm. And the funny thing about deceit, or even what Stephanie was saying, gosh, if I listened to myself from nine months ago or you know, a year ago, five years ago, 10, 20 years ago. And I remember sitting on a panel like 25 years ago. I remember feeling like I needed to let the people know how hard I was working. Like this didn't, this achievement didn't come from nothing. You need to know that this, you know, and I think that I was, it was important that I emphasize that 25 years ago as a younger person who was 33 or whatever that needed to say that. Um, and I, I think deceit, it's, it's, it's just invisible to ourselves. It's like, it's like how easy it is to see someone else's type and how difficult it is to see our own type in action. So I think that's a big deal. The other thing that I felt like really began to crack it open for me. There was a Sandra Maitre book called The Enneagram of Passions and Virtues. It's a fairly dense book, um, but she makes this one point in there that I've tried to sit with as long as I could, and it, it took me a long time, but she used this phrase, the root of the passion is found in the direction against the arrow. The root of the passion is found in the direction against the arrow. So a good example would be um, a seven, which is gluttony. And the root of it is the avarice, the holding back of the five. And so, the, in other words, this counter-reaction to this, this hoarding, holding back is gluttony. And so the passion against the arrow for the three is fear, it's like, well, how does fear relate to deceit? Like, what is that about? And it's really kind of an existential fear that I don't know if I am enough. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm enough. And, you know, people, I've heard it said that a three lives every day as if they're performing on a stage. I'm going to give a performance of being a human being. And here I am. I'm, I'm starring in my own show of what I'm presenting to the world today. But at the root of that is, that's a persona, which is deceit. But at the root of that is a fear that I'm just not okay with just being me. Yeah. Like, that is the ultimate, like, hey, who who do you think you are? You're trying to be somebody more than you are. That's, you're not, you know, you can just be yourself and it's going to be enough. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, it just launched a whole 
bunch of growth is kind of then looking at fear in my life when I felt afraid, when I felt uncomfortable. Um, And that process actually helped me understand what it meant to deceive myself about how I valued myself, how I saw myself before others, the pressure I felt, you know, what's a three? Hey, a three's always prepared and does a great job. You know what, why that is? They're scared that I will come across as not as great as I want to appear to be, which is deceit. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, the yeah. pressure of that. It's pretty intense. Yeah, that really resonates. And I think, so, well, two things you said. One, about the be yourself thing. Like, I think for me, I grew up in this generation that was, it was always just like, just be yourself. And so then I created, um, or like I made it mean this this shame about me that I didn't know mm-hmm. what that was. So it was this, this mm-hmm. constant pressure of just be yourself, just be yourself. And I'm like, okay, here I go being myself again today. Is this the right self? You know, um, which can be really challenging. And then um, also this will just be like a good little millennial thing, I think, for people who are listening. But um, now I get what the show Laguna Beach, that reality show. There is a scene that I will literally never forget because one of the gals on the show, her mom says um, to her, it's not a fashion show. And she's like, which my mom said to me 24-7 growing up. And I, <laughs> and, and the, the, the gal says, it's always a fashion show. And I was like, yes, she gets it. It's always a fashion show, you know. Yeah. Uh, just this watching. thought process of like always being on the stage, always mm-hmm. performing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that resonates. Yeah, so I want to get you all if you would share a little bit about like your conscious growth path. We've, mm-hmm. we've alluded to it a little bit. Um, you know, your your virtue, veracity, um, Baranio says that veracity is being nothing but who you are, regardless of what people will think of you. In veracity, please get in touch with your emotions and emotional needs and no longer feel a need to lie about who they are uh, or that they even have emotions at all. So how have you, um, I've been doing a lot of intentional conscious work around humility, um, you know, the mudras, you know, really working on uh, images and ideas around humility, being more anonymous. So I'm curious how, how you are, seeking out truthfulness in your life in really proactive conscious ways um, and become because I feel like this conversation that we're having right now is so authentic like hmm. your hearts are just pouring into your words and I don't feel the self-deceit I feel a lot of vulnerability and just realness and so how how are you getting it how are you doing that hmm. Hmm. I, you know, I'd say for me that the transformational journey this year has been through very deliberate uh, work on developing my emotional life. Um, I was really inspired by a podcast by B and Aranio, Developing Your Emotions, and they talked about what they've since referred to as this idea of factory settings of each type. And so... My type had real high fear and kind of low happiness, low sadness, 
was kind of my setting. And it's like, boy, that just is awful, you know? And so it kind of launched this whole journey of trying to um, have a more robust emotional life. Um, I started working with, not formally, but uh, what's called internal family systems. The idea there's many parts within me and those different parts can feel different things. And so as I go through difficult things now, I've found that you know, just by practicing, like, what, what am I feeling right now? And I might be feeling three things. And then just the process of naming those. And you know, I, feel, I feel happiness about this. I feel overwhelmed with this. And I feel really sad about that. And it's all happening at the same time. And I can say that in real time. And um, for me, it's been an overcoming of this freeze thing, which is, is related a little bit to trauma. You know, you fight flight, then freeze. And if you can't freeze, you faint. You know, you just <laughs> collapse. But I was pre-collapse. I was just kind of like, I, I, I feel inadequate. I don't know what to do here. And I do feel like in terms of personal um, transformation, it usually is in the heart center that you're going to have the transformation. And so for me, it's been identifying and feeling emotions and really going into understanding, hey, I have a lot of different ones at the same time and processing those and not being afraid of them and... Uh, I, I've also been really inspired by a book by Carla McLaren called The Language of Emotions. And she has this just really simple stuff like what is, okay, you're feeling anger. Um, what boundary needs to be protected? What standard needs to be upheld? You know, the questions you would ask for every emotion you might feel instead of just like, uh, I'm emotional, I'm frustrated, I don't know what to do, you know, just going through it. So I... I feel as though it's like I'm, it's like trying to become more human. And I feel like as I develop my emotional life, I feel a lot more authentic, a lot more present in the moment, a lot more um, able to be with people wherever they are. And and really use my strength of acknowledging what I see in other people. That's what I did have. I could sense other people's emotions, but now I can help them with that too. Mm. Um, so that's been my growth journey this past year. Uh, absolutely. It's almost um, like, yeah, emotions are this portal for you yeah. to take you into something of, of being authentic and being healthy and kind of being integrated and being truthful about what's going on. Yeah, within I, do. I just imagine what a journey that is for three. Like I imagine some people listening going like, like, mm-hmm. you know, so many of the less aware threes that I've mm-hmm. known and worked with in my life. Um, it's almost like ridiculing emotions. Like, yeah. Oh, they do. How much of it is like this, all this feely, this touchy feely, but yet there are, you can just tell there's a well of depth there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. But for whatever reason, they're inefficient or they're scared of them or they, they just get overwhelmed by them. So, um, 
it has actually been very freeing, you know, to to begin to explore that and to, you know, emotions are information. They give you great mm-hmm. information, mm-hmm. and then you can be with it. And um, you know, it's just I, I like the authenticity piece. And I think the other thing is, I typically there would be a huge lag between an emotional event and my ability to figure out what happened, like days <laughs> or weeks. Mm. And now it's like, in the moment, I can kind of say, I'm experiencing all this, or I'm crying, and I know, okay, I'm crying because of this. This is yeah. what's happening. And, and I can say it in that moment. Um, and that feels good. Mm-hmm. feels really good. Yeah, um, I think that that like ability to be with more emotions actually for me, um, you know, wanting to go that similarly, not quite as intentionally. It sounds like as as Jim has been, but um, has been through like self compassion work. Um, the book Emotional Agility by Susan David was really impactful mm-hmm. for me, as well as um, Self Compassion by Kristen Neff. Um, mm-hmm. But I think a big way that I've been working on this is just like noticing, okay, I am stressed out. I'm burned out. What is leading to this? Like what is leading to this exhaustion? And, and, and just really asking myself that question because so often I would get to a day on my calendar and be like, I don't want to do any of these things like at all. And, and I can't take a break because a three planned my calendar. (laughs) So like I literally have, I can't take a break. And so being a lot more focused on preemptively asking those questions. So um, reading in uh, the complete Enneagram about kind of, it's kind of like the soul child theory, like the child heart point and developing that first. So for type three, that's type six. So I was like, mm-hmm. okay, so let me pull up some six energy and ask myself questions. So I basically just wrote these questions out um, to help me analyze um, because I think so often the things that, saying yes or no to an event had to do or, or an engagement, whatever had to do with a couple of things, one metrics. So what are the numbers attached to it? Whether that's exposure, whether that's dollars, whether, whether that's um, prestige, those types of things. Um, And then will this make me look successful? Um, Mm. Like, like those were the things top of mind for me Um, and trying to ride that wave of momentum of, trying to build and trying to go these places and trying to increase and all these things. And I just was like, so spread thin. And so the questions are, um, is this aligned with my heart? Um, so bringing up Mm -hmm. the heart space some, but also asking that question from that, um, that type six center, um, does it make sense? Like, is it aligned with where I want to (laughs) go? Like, um, Mm -hmm. what is my gut reaction to it? Um, and then why? So, sometimes my gut reaction is like, Oh, I'm scared of that because I might feel like an imposter. I might feel inadequate, um, which that's a different thing. But if my gut reaction is just no, and I just don't have any explanation um, as to why I often will just mute that and then say yes. Um, And so I've been learning to, to listen to that and just be like, no, actually, you know? Um, And then is it a great opportunity, but just not right now? Um, like, so asking, like, is the timing right? Those questions. So 
literally having a list of questions that I use to make decisions has really helped me to actually not just float through with saying yes to whatever comes my way, but to actually like be more thoughtful, um, Mm. more like making sure that I'm like protecting myself and my energy so that I don't have those days. I mean, everyone has those days where they wake up, they're like, I don't want to do anything on my schedule today, but like making sure I have few of fewer of them because at the end of the day, like if I'm running my own business, I don't want to feel beholden to, to the business, you know, like I'm in charge, <laughs> you know? Uh, and so, yeah. So, so really like transitioning that and making sure it does actually feel um, like there's purpose there for me. And, and like, I can be emotionally engaged, which has been really freeing to actually have more space to be emotionally engaged with the people I work with. Um, And I've just been noticing myself too. Like I think before I'd be like, what will people think if I don't offer this service or if I don't Mm. offer this service? And um, recently I've been like, you know what I hate? I hate trying to tell people about the Enneagram and giving them the same basics in one to two hours every time and they're required to be there. So they don't have a vested interest in actually learning it. And so they're like, well, and I say, you have one core type. They're like, well, I'm a, an eight with a, a, a one wing. And it's just like, I have explained that five times and I'm just like, I'm sick of that, you know? And I like, I'm like, okay, I want to talk with people about this who are actually engaged in it. And if they're not engaged in it, then I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. You're uh, finding your people. You're yeah, seeing something really true. And, and finding, yeah, and and I think too, finding you know that maybe I like working with corporate and I like working with organizations, and maybe I just don't. Maybe I'm just over the enneagram, <laughs> to be honest. Not generally, like I really like it for myself and for transformation and for coaching, but kind of over this broad stroke, just like mm-hmm. talking about it. And I just keep doing it because that's what people expect of me. Um, mm. And so now it's like, okay, well, what, what else is there, you know? And then going back to the question that you've asked and you've mentioned two or three times in this podcast, what do I want? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. going back to that core question. Yeah. So I want to, we're going to wrap up here in a minute. Um, but I want to give you all a chance to say anything else about your type, your type three, um, anything else that we haven't covered that you really think is important for people to know about a type three or anything about um, your growth as a type three, your transformation that um, you felt like it would be illuminating for people to understand. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's always best, this is what I tend to do with people, is try to give them the truth that is the most opposite of what they think they know about the type. So I always like to say, well, you know, threes are the most emotional of all the Enneagram types, because they go, no way, the fours are. And it's like, oh, not in essence, you know. So I think that that is the thing that I, I feel like I try to leave people with. And um, I can see where people, I mean, I've, or if I say to somebody, you know, threes are 
um, most in touch with sadness, but they don't use sadness on their own behalf. And I've been in a class teaching that where the three started to talk about, and they start crying. Mm. And um, it's like, yeah, that's real, isn't it? You know, it's, and I finally named the thing you've always felt, but you're afraid about. And um, there's a little bit of, I think part of the sadness in the three is, um, it's a heavy burden Mm -hmm. to carry the feeling that I am working so hard to be appreciated and I don't think anybody's really appreciating me fully for how hard I've been working. And, you know, it's like, well, that's sad, isn't it? You know, you're trying to, you're, you're doing something nobody asked you to do. And no wonder you feel so alone trying to get some appreciation from somebody that didn't sign up for it. And you didn't even know you were asking them for it. And then you, you wear yourself out through your hard work and exhaust yourself. And then you feel sad that you're not appreciated. I just it's like, think well, that you- so perfectly describes the three in personality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just like, well, that is sad, isn't it? You know, well, that's too bad. But because but, sadness you know, is inefficient and I don't want to feel that stuff. Yeah. Lock it down. Yeah. Then it gets worse. Yeah. Yeah, know, it's like compound interest, yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of what I, if I had one thing to say to somebody who was a three, I'd, say, I'd tell them that. That's great, thank you. Stephanie, closing words for us? I mean, I think that just what I've encountered as threes, I mean, I've literally had people DM me say, threes are the worst type, and then not realizing I was a three. <laughs> um, oh, Yeah. Yeah, and I think that there's a lot of that. I think threes are threes can be misunderstood. I think people make a lot of assumptions about the authenticity or the um, the desire to move forward. Um, but I think that what I really want us as threes to be able to grasp is is just that sense of being enough, like. As you are without qualification. Um, that I think is probably one of the most important, well, I guess aims of growth work, right? Because it's it's not like you can just magically wake up tomorrow and be like, I'm enough, you know. Um, but I think that so much of the personality patterns of the overworking and all these different things can be really bound up in that concept of like, I need to prove that I'm enough. Um, And I don't have magical words to speak that and make people believe it Um, or for myself even, because that's still something that I work on Um, and probably always will. But I think that just just the, yeah, right. And I just think the continual work of just for me, just self-compassion and, um, I think threes can be really perfectionistic and really hard on themselves. And so um, doing more self-compassion work, I think is, is really helpful. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> no, this is great. You guys are the best. I mean, really <laughs> uh, you have given such a, um, I don't know the right word. I, Cause you know, we've done several panels. I feel like 
this, what you have talked about and shown us with just your words and your, you know, I can see you all, they can't see you, but just um, really getting to feel you all through this is, I don't know the right word, it's refreshing, it's beautiful, it's breathtaking. There's something like really yummy <laughs> and delicious about what you guys have offered today. Um, so, I, yeah, I feel really tearful. So did we win the podcast? Work of the three, when you really do understand the essence, Jen, to go back. I think there's something really powerful about that. So, thank you both. Thank you for doing this, for being my friend, for being sojourners as we all travel this in New Grand together. So, uh, God bless you both. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Big Self Podcast. We're so grateful for your presence with us. And we hope that each of these episodes helps with what you're needing most right now. Right now, I have a few remaining spots open for my one-on-one leadership coaching. You can find out more at bigselfschool.com slash coaching. Also, if you want to go to our bigselfschool.com page, you can get our free ebook, How to Build Self-Knowledge, Discovering Who You Are. And that's a great beginning point for launching in a whole new direction of personal growth. And of course, don't forget about the Enneagram as a great way to dive deeper into your self-development. Go to bigselfschool.com slash Enneagram and you can download our free guide there, How to Unlock Your Potential with the Enneagram. We also offer team trainings for your organization and individual typing packages as a way to discover your type and begin using the Enneagram for personal growth. And also, if you're in Chattanooga, you can sign up for my Enneagram 101 class on August 26th at the Chattery. Go to thechattery.org and you can register there. Lots going on. Thank you for tuning in this week.